0: The generosity of Oxner Lafayette General makes this podcast possible. As Acadiana's largest regional health system, the organization has more than 5,500 employees and includes eight hospitals, more than 100 clinics, urgent cares, and professional centers. Its flagship hospital, Oxner LGMC, is the region's only level two trauma center and one of two teaching hospitals in Acadiana. Oxner Lafayette General strives to put patients first and makes caring, their top priority. In continuous efforts to reach more patients, Oxner Lafayette General maintains its commitment to keeping care local and making healthcare more accessible for everyone. For more information, please visit oxner.org/lafayette. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Lafayette-based VIMED, a national leader in post-acute respiratory care and sleep therapy. If you're struggling to get a good night's sleep, you may have undiagnosed sleep apnea. vimed right here in Acadiana, can assist with in-home sleep testing, CPAP equipment, and a personal sleep coach. For existing CPAP users, ViMed can help you maintain a restful sleep schedule through supplies and maintenance tips. Visit viMed.com forward sleep or call 866-852-8343 for more details. Our guest today is Charles Edwards, CEO of One Telemed, a telehealth service for mental health patients in underserved communities. One Telemed uses innovative HIPAA video and audio technology to connect individuals in need of licensed professionals, reducing the wait time for a new patient needing to see a psychiatrist from 90 days to three to five days. Charles has worked in the mental health field since his first job out of high school 20 years ago. One Telemed currently employs 27 people and is actively hiring. They provide services to over 40,000 patients in Louisiana, and there's much more we're going to learn about. Charles Edwards, welcome to Discover Lafayette.
1: Well, Thank you so much, Jan, for having me. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Oh, I do too. And yeah. we're here in the studio in beautiful Raider with Jason yes. Secor. Jason, thank you no, thank for you. taping thank our show me. today. Yeah. So we have never met in person, and I have to say, your reputation just is unparalleled people have spoken so highly of you oh. and i know now after meeting you it's not only your work ethic but your love of service to help others thank you yeah so i'd like to hear your background and what led you to where you are now in in helping others that most need help
1: wow okay <laughs> you're, um, you're
0: growing up little growing charles up. yeah
1: um i think all my life uh i knew i wanted to help people um my mom, uh, she had an in-home daycare for most of my life, right? And so I spent most of my times after school in the mornings waking up, feeding the kids, <laughs> um, just doing things with them. And I always wanted to just—I just had a heart to serve people. Mm-hmm. And and so I just knew that service was going to be um, the thing. And um, it's funny because I was a kid. I was six years old— um, I go to church with my family. We're from a, my family's from a small town called Ville Platte, Louisiana. They moved here in our six months, and so we went to church there. But every Sunday we'd come back, and I would come home, and I would mimic the preacher and so i have like a church service <laughs> inside the house and, I, and it was it, it was funny so my parents always knew that was something different about me mm-hmm. and they were like this bar gonna be a preacher this boy gonna be he's gonna always help people he's always gonna serve people That's funny. and so i think from that they always knew um i think the problem was me knowing and me accepting it mm-hmm. um i always felt like i was different like um grew up in the north side of town, went to a very poor school, Truman Elementary. This was before it was uh, it was K through um, eight, and it was it was different. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times we had books that didn't have all the pages because we didn't have books like from everyone So It was books that was left over from other schools. Uh, sometimes we showed we didn't have teachers because they was afraid. So. Um, it was difficult because, from a statistical standpoint, I probably shouldn't be sitting here, right? right. Um, but there were teachers that would see something different about me and they would keep me after school. And they'd be like, it's something different, we're gonna teach you. So, school for most people would stop at three, and I would stay there till six. Really? They would just take me in, and it was me and another one of my other uh-huh. friends, and they would just take us in, and they would show us something different, like, you're going to be better, you're going be to do this, or they would give us extra homework, and so mm-hmm. they would push us to do something different. And so um, I couldn't run away from it, really, and then I tried to run away. As I got older, um, I think it was, I was about 18 um, or so, I was in school suffering from— like just self-esteem because I didn't fit in with everybody else.
0: Was this still in high school? I was still in high school. Where were my you senior, in high school? Katie
1: and I, mm-hmm. and um, and I joined this organization called Steps Ahead. This guy, this is a weird story, right? I was literally sitting in my my parents' kitchen, and a guy walked up the driveway, and he he had a flat tire, and he had parked across the street to change the flat tire, and he says, "Um, I'm trying to find this guy, but I need to." to change my tire. And so he asked my dad, can you help me? Cause I don't have any tools. And then after my dad helped with the tire, he says, I'm trying to find this guy by the name of Charles Edwards. (laughs) My dad was like, what? What? (laughs) He's like, that's my son. But what do you want with my son? He's like, I don't know. I had a dream about this guy. I had a dream about him. And I just felt like I needed, they told me that he lives in this city. This guy was from St. Martinville, uh, Michael Francis. And, um, and my dad introduced us and he came up and he he came and he says, I, I'm just here because I felt like you needed help to find you. And um, That's what his dream? Yeah, that was, was his dream. Right. Wow. And, then, and were you
0: just like, uh I, I think I'm good?
1: I, I, I was nervous. I was like, well, I knew I was in a bad kid, so I am not get in trouble. So I was like, maybe okay. And at this time I just really started trying to Yeah. Find out what my life was going to look like. And uh, he took me under his wings. So he started this organization called Steps Ahead and um, striving towards excellence, positive. I can't think of what it stood for all the way, but it was a self-esteem group. And we would do workshops on Tuesdays at the Domain Center. And then we would go out to schools and actually speak to kids. Mm -hmm. And so... um, I kind of got it. I really got a, attracted to the organization, started becoming one of the more faithful members. And we started off with three or five and we got up to almost 20 people. Mm-hmm. But I became one of the leaders in that group. And then we started doing self-esteem workshops at schools. And um, this was and then something pivotal happened. We had this this skit called Black Man Get Ready. It was a, a group called Legit. I was local before they wrote a song and then we had a skit to it. Um, And then we ended up getting invited to the Million Man March in Washington, DC. And we were actually on stage because we were supposed to perform. And um, we didn't because somebody's got a scratch, but Jesse Jackson was saying a prayer and he said, grab the person next to you's hand and hold it while we pray. I I grabbed the person to my right and the hands felt like cotton. It was so soft. And, And I had my eyes closed. And then after the prayer, I opened my eyes and I looked, because I wanted to see whose hands I was holding. And that moment for me changed me. It was Rosa Parks. And I was oh, like, wow. I, and I was wow. in tears. I'm like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I just held history. And it for me, I felt like at that moment, I knew that was something inside me because it was like, what were the chances of her stopping next to me to pray? And I was like, okay. Um, and then just kind of went through life. And then I was graduating from from high school and I was like, I, want to, I don't know what I want. I want to go to school for computer engineering. I want to do this, I want to do that. Um, but every time I would try to think about what my future would look like, I kept hearing a voice saying, don't do that, that's people for you to help. Don't do that, that's people for you to help. And I would wake up and be like, mom, dad, I hear this voice telling me that's people I need to help. My mom was like, boy, just go to school. You're going to help a lot of people Mm -hmm. wherever you go, right? Go to Dallas I was going to DeVry Institute. These uh, were just
0: dreams? You weren't meditating actively? I wasn't
1: meditating. It was Uh dreams. I'd wake up, and it got so bad, literally. I would walk in the mall and hear the same voice, like, Charles, don't go. And it's like, what is this? I'm losing my mind, right? (laughs) And um, I'll never forget, the Saturday before I was getting ready to leave to go to school, um, I heard it again. Um, It was louder. Sunday morning, I woke up and went to church with the family. And then after I left church, some friends of mine asked me, said, so, do you want to go play basketball? I was like, yeah, let's go play basketball on my last Saturday, Sunday here. It's fine. Let's go have some fun. Um, that moment changed my life forever. Um, I'll tell you the story how they told me because I don't remember any of it. Um, we went to the park. I went up for a, a dunk. It was some eight-foot goals at Youth Park uh, right behind the, uh, the old um, fire department. On, off of Johnson Street near your campus. Now there's mm-hmm. the university apartments there. So I went play there and then went up for a dunk. And me and a guy got tangled up in there. I landed from eight feet in, my, in the air and landed on my head on the uh. cement. And I had a blood clot in my brain down my spine. Um, I wasn't breathing for about three to five minutes. So they thought I was dead. And I just, they were calling the ambulance and I woke up and I was like, just take me home. I was conscious, they said. Mm-hmm. So when I get home, he puts me in the car, he drives me home. And when I get home by that time, I'm I'm throwing up blood. My brother looks at me, we got to take you to the hospital. Went to the ER. My brain started swelling at that point. When I got there, um, the doctor said um, his brain is swelling. We don't know if we can stop it. Um, we don't know if he's going to make it um, because his brain was without oxygen for so long. He, he's conscious now, but he may go into a coma. And I don't think he'll probably walk or talk on his own. It's we can just try so they flew me to new orleans and again the doctors say that we're just going to do whatever we can to make him comfortable um because they didn't think i was going to make it because of the way that my brain was swelling and uh laid in that hospital bed um Jane, i gotta really i really have to love being because i don't tell anybody this story um i was laying in the hospital bed and i heard my name which was the same voice that i was hearing before
0: oh my gosh
1: and i opened my eyes and there was a light a tunnel of light with a hand in it and I took it and he put them out of my body. I'm looking down at myself. And then I looked up and there was just this ball of energy, ball of light, and it was God. And I'm like, and he's like, do you want to stay with me or go back and do a work for me? And I was like, what do you want? He says, I want you to go back and do a work. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but it's so great here. Like it's peaceful, the smell was amazing. It was just like, I want to stay. I don't have any troubles here. This is where he says, nah, I need you to go there. So I come back. So I land back in my body. All the machines going off. And and then the doctors wanted to do emergency CAT scan because they thought the blood clock had moved to the front of my brain and I was dying. And while I was now nah, I was unconscious. So I wasn't talking. I wasn't, didn't know anything. Couldn't move, really. And they did a CAT scan, and I sat up, and I said, what you looking for is gone. And they are like, they thought something was wrong with the machine because it, it, it was clear. I said, what you looking for is gone. And she's like, what? So all the doctors came in, oh, it's a miracle, it's a miracle. And they're like, what happened? I was like, y'all wouldn't believe if I told y'all. So you remember from that point I remember when from you that sat point, up? I remember from that point, the walk with God. I remember all that. Yeah. I just didn't remember how I got The accident, that. yeah. Um, and so— Did
0: you—were um, you in a lot of physical pain? I know I'm asking too many I questions. I don't really Do you...
1: remember the pain. You just remember the I the just experience. remember the experience. Uh-huh. My parents were there. I had, They said I was in pain because I was making noises. Um, it looks like I was in pain because uh-huh. it was like groaning. But, But I didn't remember any of that. Mm-hmm. I didn't remember the fall. I didn't remember getting to the basketball court. I remember leaving church and waking up being with God. Craziest thing, right? Wow. And
0: Your parents, you know, I just want to put in from what I've read about you and heard, your parents have been very supportive. And I guess education for you must have been important because of their own background. Well,
1: well, my parents didn't go to school. Um, My dad was one of 18 kids. Uh, My mom was one of five. Um, But they grew up in a time where education was important. So they never really pushed me or pushed us to go to school. They just wanted us to be successful. Mm -hmm. They wanted us to be great people yeah um so my mom had a, a fifth grade education my dad a third grade education mm-hmm. um, but they I didn't know that really about him until as I grew up because we never went without. My dad worked yeah. offshore for 30 plus years and then after he, he retired there started his own handyman business and my mom mm-hmm. had an in-home daycare as I mentioned earlier. so we we didn't grow up um in much need right right, right. all of our needs were met We wasn't a wealthy family. But we didn't have any needs, mm-hmm. um, and he did a really great job of supporting us. And all all he did was just inspire us to be our best.
0: And that's what I'm thinking. You knew God because of your upbringing. You knew yeah. the importance of your faith.
1: Yeah, that was that was the most important uh-huh. thing to us was faith.
0: Yeah. So, so you were 18
1: I was when 18. this happened. Yeah, and then I came back, and then um, I was having seizures, so they put me on Dilantin, Um And then I get home. And I'm taking a dilantin, and I'm hallucinating horribly, right? I'm literally seeing, every time I look at people, they're always underwater. I see purple dots everywhere. I'm watching television and I'm like, man, you don't see that water? Why is that guy driving in water? And everybody's like, What's, what you talking about? And literally was seeing things that nobody else was seeing. And they're like, you're crazy. It's like, something wrong with you. And back then, I'm so glad my parents wasn't uh, educated on mental health because they would take me to a psychiatric hospital. <laughs> I probably could have because I was hearing voices. I was, mm. I was. It was bad. I was severely depressed. Um, man, Jan, you getting me? Um, so that moment, um, I attempted suicide three times. <sighs> I, um, all right. Um, I put a gun in my head that wouldn't go off. I tried to cut myself with a razor that I wouldn't cut. I tried to overdose in the Dhalan and I couldn't swallow, right? And I said, God, if this is what you want from me, if you want me to do work for you, you have to take this from me because I can't function. I can't, I don't know how to exist in this place, right? And I flushed this toilet, I flushed the Dhalan down the toilet. And the moment I did that, all the voices stopped, all the depression went away. And now he says, go help all those people and that's what led me to go to mental health. And so um so no college for no you. No college. I was in school. I went to school. Mm-hmm. Um, after the doctor released me, I went to school. I was sitting in in class and um I heard that same voice and it says, I want to use you to do something greater than your own natural ability. I don't need education to prove myself to the world. I want to use you to be a light. So resign. So I got up in class and I left. I went to talk to my dean, and it's so funny. I ran into her at Kevin Guidry's, Um, probably—
0: The fruit stand? Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> I ran into her at Kevin Gidry's maybe a month and a half ago, and she walked up to me. I said, Dr. Battle. And she was like, Charles? I was like, you remember me? She said, yeah, because I just saw you on TV. <laughs> um, but I remember when you came in my office and you resigned, and I looked at you <laughs> like you were crazy. But then she said, just go and be great. Mm. Do whatever you were, said, you were led to do, and life would take you on journeys that you couldn't even imagine.
0: So what did you start out? I mean, how did you get a job? I know there's a story behind this, too.
1: <laughs> so um, I started— It was a miracle. <laughs> yeah. So I, I ended up seeing this this advertising for a job with Volunteers of America to be a program—I um, remember what the exact title was—a case manager, maybe, for a day program and and it, it spoke to what I was doing with the, the um, public speaking and so I was like oh I can use this to talk to people and just empower people do classes and stuff so I'm going to learn about it and then in interview for it he called me back he says hey we want to offer you the position I saw it required me to have a master's but I said I'm going to do, I'm gonna do right. <laughs> it's like
0: high school <laughs> so
1: I went to apply and I got well, it well you
0: mastered high school yeah I mastered you know? high school right <laughs>
1: yeah. and then uh I, um, so you got hired? I got hired, started, and the the clients loved me. Um, I was doing classes three days a week and go out and do case management, taking other appointments, helping them get connected to other resources. You were like 19? I was 19. Okay. <laughs> and, um, and so they came up to me about a month later and they're like, Charles, I think it was about a month later, Charles, you, you don't have a master's, huh? I was like, mm-mm. <laughs> He's like, because we wanted it kind of funny that they look at your age. Yeah. And we looked at. It compute. <laughs> not genius, or, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I am like, he said, so so we're going to have to let you go, right? And I'm oh, like, no. oh, man, I love this job. So we made an announcement. And all the clients stood up and said, if he leaves, we're leaving too. And we're not coming back. So he calls the executive director. She's like, well, they don't want to come back. We're not going to have a program. We have this grant. We're going to lose all this money. So they said, well, we'll hire somebody with a master's to sign up on all his paperwork. And that's what they did. They did? Yeah. And I stayed there. Um, I stayed there for a few years. And then I ended up leaving because I um, I just felt something more. And um, I didn't know what that more was. So I started a I started a grant writing company. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do consulting. I'm going to help write grants. I'm, I've never read a grant before in my life. I just thought I could do it because I felt like I can do it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, let me give it a shot. So I started helping people, and it was starting to do okay. Um, like for nonprofits? For nonprofits, helping them do articles in corporations um, because I wanted this nonprofit. To, I wanted to start my own nonprofit, and I was going to hire somebody, but I couldn't afford to do it, so I did it myself. Yeah. And I was like, "Well, if I did it myself, I can do it for other people." And that's kind of what I started doing. And um, did that, it started going well. And then I started teaching this Bible study in Alexandria, Louisiana. So we'd drive back um, back and forth to Alexandria on Fridays, and then next thing you know, we decided to move there. Um, and so i ended up moving to Alexandria, and um, it's crazy because we moved into this house, and it was a nice house in a nice neighborhood. And my daughter, who was three at the time, kept going around the house going, dog? Dog? We had no pets. I was like, is she watching a cartoon? Mm-hmm. Is he watching something that, you know, just something? And so we walk out, come in from grocery shopping. And I kid you not, I seen a, a tail, something with a long tail, run into the back of, a, of like the um, refrigerator. And my daughter did, dog? And it was a rat.
0: Oh, <laughs> a
1: big rat. <laughs> a big rat. Oh, a my goodness. A big rat. And, um, she lo- wasn't scared, though. She wasn't scared. Lo and behold, um, we called the people that we were renting the house from the uh, realtor company. And they came and did an inspection. And the guys from Arkin came out and says, you got to move out of this house. This house is infested oh. with... It was called, I think, neutral Not it was a uh, some. Yeah. It was a different kind of rat. That's in abandoned buildings, and they, and the lady that was there was raising them. She was feeding them dog food, but dog food is an antidote to rat poisoning. So these people, the people couldn't kill them, and I was like, we have, to, and and they had to demolish the house because I went back to look for it, right? And we had to move, and so I put all my money in this house. I put all my money into moving into Alexandria, and then
0: yeah,
1: I didn't have anything, right? So the the real estate, the real estate company put us in a hotel. We were living in a Super eight on Masonic drive. And there was a Super one with a taco bell. back then the taco bell the tacos were 89 cents.
0: Oh yeah, that's <laughs>
1: And so I um Good meal I didn't, we didn't have no friends or family, but the mm-hmm. people we'd do a Bible study with on Fridays, and um we didn't have a place to call home. So we lived in that hotel for almost two months, a month and a half maybe about a month maybe, something like that. It was, And I didn't have money, so I had only enough money to go get Taco Bell. So I'd get Taco Bell for me and my family, and I'd go give them, and I'd just drink water, right? I'd drink enough water. So it was like, because I had to make it stretch and make it last. And, and I was like, God, I don't know. What you told me to be here. I don't know what this is supposed to be. And, and um, man, I said, I don't want to quit. I know I'm here for a reason. And so I would, um, I would get them to bed, and I would go sit in the front, a far area, the reception area, and they had a TV, and one day they had a, a, a televised preacher playing, and he says, When God gives you a vision, the last thing you need is money. The first thing you need to is write the vision and make it plain. And he says, when you do that, it's God's responsibility fulfilling the need. And you just gotta believe. I said, really? I have been contemplating an idea of how to open my own mental health company. And at that point I was like, I'm gonna write this business plan, I'm gonna write this vision. So mm-hmm. I took a pen and paper and I started writing. I was writing, I was writing, I was writing. Um, started calculating things. And um, and I came up with a dollar amount of how much I needed. And then I only had 17 dollars left in my pocket, and it was mm-hmm. enough money to put gas to come back to Lafayette. Um, we was driving a stick shift. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's somebody gonna Coast see. that much right? yeah. yeah, right? And um drove back. And um, let's just say by the time I left home, left to go back to Alexandria, I had the $25,000 I needed from an anonymous person. It was just... Wow.
0: Yeah, I read about that. So you came back with your family, and you were working where? Like you?
1: I wasn't working at the time. I was working... When we was in Alexandria, I was doing the... The, um, the Bible study. I was in the Bible study. Back... I was doing a Bible study, and I was doing the um, consulting. And then when I came back, it was just for just for that day.
0: Oh, just for that day.
1: Just for that day. Yeah, it was just that day. It was like God told me to pack my stuff and bring your family to Lafayette. And when we did that, we drove in, stayed with friends, stayed with family. And um, yeah.
0: And I, I read that, though. So you, anonymously, someone yeah. gave you $25,000. Where, <laughs> where did you always, find it? I mean, where It was, was it? at a
1: restaurant. Um, yeah, it was crazy. It was at a restaurant. I came it, back from the bathroom, and there was a, the envelope with my name on it. And, um, you have no idea? No.
0: Were you talking to people about no, your dream?
1: No. And, um, <laughs> ten, yeah, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like
0: dollar, like $100 bills or a check? Like cashier's check. Cashier's check. Mm-hmm. You still, to this day, have no idea?
1: No. I know who did it. It was God. I don't know a person, mm. but I know it was him, right? And I'm like...
0: Was that enough? It, what was on the vision that you wrote out? 25,000. You needed exactly 25,000.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, went back and I started. um, Started the business.
0: And what did you do first? Like, was mental health mm-hmm. It who, was a mental health rehab.
1: And so it was working with kids with behavioral health disorders and we would go into schools and do some behavior mod and come in, they'd come, to, they'd come to the program afterwards and do group therapy. And I had a psychiatrist. Um, and they would see him do the medication management side. And so that's how I started my own business.
0: You had to learn how to get reimbursed, like oh, yeah. Medicaid? and
1: I, had, I counted on friends that I knew. I had a guy that here that had one, and I just read. And I didn't understand. I mean, I understood it to the point where I was able to get it up and going, but it was like I had this ability to read stuff and comprehend things that I couldn't do on my own. And I was like... I got it, I can see this, I can do it. And next thing, the business was growing. Because um, that does seem complicated. It was. To learn, you know, especially
0: as a young, very young man.
1: Yeah, I was 20
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, 23, I think, by that time, maybe. 23 by that time. Yeah, 23. Because um, this was 2005. So it was like figuring out, this was 2000, I'm sorry, this is 2000 when I was in Alexandria. And I stayed there until 2005. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, we learn it, and then we end up opening a coffee house. So we had a, a counseling agency downstairs. This is the craziest thing. My wife at the time, um, we were sitting at the in the office. It's like I'm bored. I want to open a coffee house. I was like, I'm open a coffee house. Like that's not something we never did before. And we we were walking up. That to those, seems
0: easier than mental health counseling, right? You know. <laughs>
1: so we were walking into the building where we were, and downstairs was an old furniture store. It was mm-hmm. a beautiful building. She says, "This is where I want to put my coffee house." I said, well, how are you going to put a coffee house there and have somebody in business? She said, I just feel like this is the building. Two days later, we walked past. There's a sign saying going out of business. And I'm sitting there like, hold on. What just happened? And so I went and talked to, talk to the, man, the, uh, the, the, the guy who owns the building because it was in the Trotters building in Alexandria. And he's like, yeah, they're moving out. I said, man, we want to move in and um, open a coffee house. He said, we're going to have to redo everything. I said, we're going to figure it out. And so, by the time I was making money with my other business, so I can support it, and um, so we opened the coffee house. So from 2000 to 2005, we had that, um, but it was rough because um, I experienced racism on another level there.
0: In Alexandria. Yeah,
1: um, got to a point where we wake up, get to the office, our signs are on the ground. Oh gosh. One day, my daughter and my 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 wife at that time, was was went to the mall and I came out, all the tires were cut. And it was like, and I went to the Chamber of Commerce and they kicked me out of the meeting. And they were like, you wanna uninvite yourself to this city because you're not welcome here. And when they said that everything started to happen, going wrong, I ended up losing the business. Um, they made some calls and um, lost the business. I had uh,
0: lost the mental health business or the coffee, the, shop? the mental
1: health business, which was funding. That everything. was the one funding everything. Um, but it was so much. I was like, you just got to go back home. Yeah. Um, to the point where they froze all our assets. I didn't have access to any of the money I was making or bringing in. And then we had to borrow $10,000 from a friend of her, my ex-wife's and move back. So I, We borrowed that, came back, and then I got a job working at American Airlines making $8 an hour.
0: (laughs) At the airport? like just.
1: They move into the airport, and so I had to go to Alexandria for six months at the university to learn about Sabre and all these other things, Mm -hmm. and then come back. Um, The last
0: place you wanted to go.
1: Yeah, and then came back and worked back in life. I went from having my own businesses to making $9 an hour. And I was like, it was the most humbling experience. And I'm like, you know what? I can't do this. So by the time I worked my way up to... Uh, they were promoting me to an on-site uh, trainer to go to airports and do new hire training. My first day on the promotion, I'm driving to get to the airport to catch my flight at five. I got a flat tire. Missed my flight. My general manager fired me. And I'm like, oh, gosh. I thought I was going to be coming up, right? So I... um. Man, I, so I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I'm literally like, I, I got to do something. Um, so I st- I got to end up getting a job at the AT&T call center I here as a manager. They hired me on as a manager. First, mm-hmm. never did it before. And they brought me on as a manager. And then after a year, I stayed there, but I fell out of water. I kept fish out of water. I couldn't really really do what I want to do. And one of the people who my buddy managers that really didn't like career competitive and our team would always beat her team. And so she ended up getting a promotion and she did everything to get me fired. So I'm at my, my job and I had, I just had a, a moment where I needed a therapist. So I took a leave of absence. Once I came back, they just let me go because I, it was hard for me to connect back with this arena. That's not yeah. what I'm supposed to. Um, so I'm at my brother's house Looking up places where I can, again, I'm limited. I don't have a degree. I don't have I have experience, but I don't have any of that. So I can just go get a job. Um, I had a call from a friend of mine. He says, hey, they have this mental health company that's moving into the city. They're looking for a marketer. Would you be interested? I said, man, sure. Mm-hmm. I need it. Um, I met with him at the Hilton. The guy came in. I met him at the Hilton Garden Hotels. I didn't have a suit. I didn't have anything. I had to wear my brother, of my brother's suit. Now, my brother's like a bodybuilder kind of dude, right? So the pants was too tight. I had to take uh, a safety pin and give me some more room. <laughs> the jacket was so tight, I was holding my breath during the whole interview, right? I'm like, man,
0: this is horrible. Lifestyles of the rich and famous. Yeah, and huh? I said,
1: yeah. like, okay, really? <laughs> All right, I'm going to apply for this job. I hope this guy don't ask me to just... You know, if I take a deep breath, everything's going to pop. So I'm just holding everything in, right? So I'm meeting with him, and um, 20 minutes into the conversation, he said, you want the job? I said, absolutely. He says, I'm going to embarrass you now because this my, this job is not going to pay as much money as you're probably used to making. He said, I'm going to start you off at about $55,000. Oh, my gosh. I was like, oh, you're right. You're right. Mm-hmm. That's not a lot of money, but uh, <laughs> I'll take it. I'll yeah. take it. You know, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> so, I took the job
0: off to the men's warehouse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So
1: right. I said, now I took suits. the job, and I stopped. Now they're a company that's national, right? They're a <laughs> national company based out of Shreveport. I said, but I tell you what, I'll take the job at fifty-five thousand dollars if you guarantee me that if I can open up the centers, a, a IOP center with more patients than your biggest facility on their first day, you'll promote me to being a regional. And what yeah. is IOP? Uh, intensive Outpatient Program. Okay. It's a step-down program from people who leave a psychiatric hospital. And they okay. go into this conference. So I said, my census is higher than any of your largest programs that ever existed in the company. If my first day is uh, more, he says, my first one I had 35. I said, okay, I'm going to come with 70. My, for our first day we're going to open up with 70 clients. He says, if you do that, we're going to get you a promotion. I said, all right. First day we opened up with 78 patients. How did you do that? Community, right? Uh-huh. I have been... Uh, People, I just went and talked to people uh-huh. and just tell them why we're doing it. I'll share my story with them, what I'm doing. And a lot of people just happy to see me back because I've been gone for five years in Alexandria. And then, you know, I've been working with Volunteers of America, so I was already in the mental health mm-hmm. space. I just got out of it because there was no other room for me, right? And so um, so I opened up with, it was one couple of nursing homes that sent me, uh, sent me a lot of patients. One of my friends uh, I was a... a the discharge plan or the social worker there. And so she connects. she gave me some names and mm-hmm. connects. So we ended up ended up meeting a goal. Um and then we opened up some issues came up with the contract. They ended up closing the center two months afterwards, fired everybody and then promoted me to a regional. So now I was mm-hmm. covering, not just covering Louisiana, and I went from Louisiana, Arkansas, Texas, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Um, and that job required me to have a master's. They didn't ask me. They didn't ask? They didn't ask. Um, well,
0: they saw the 78 people that you had brought. Right. You know?
1: <laughs> so um, so I, I continued working, and every center I go to, their census was doubling. Like mm-hmm. Numbers were just crazy. And I was working hard. I think I was working too hard because I felt like I had to work harder because I didn't have any, I didn't want them to ever ask me for my degree because that was always a thing in the back of my mind. Yeah. If I can kill it, then they won't ask. Mm-hmm. And so I killed it and they didn't ask. But at the same time, I was going a lot. So I would, fly, I would leave on a Sunday and come back on a Friday. So I was only spending very little time. And one day I I come driving in from my Beaumont office and my daughter, she was about six. She says, Hey daddy, I had." not seen you in a long time, I forgot how you look. And that and that moment broke me. I was done. I was like, I'm done. I quit. I'm gonna figure it out. We're gonna make it happen. Um and then I ended up working for I ended up applying for a job at Katie of million Hospital mm-hmm. and became their marketer. And then my director left. I applied for the director's position because our numbers were great, the highest it had ever been. And they brought in somebody from the outside and asked me to train her. I was like, really? She never had a day of psych, never had, uh, didn't know anything about the industry. I was like, you know what? I'm not doing this. I trained her the first day, second day, I brought her with me to an event in Alexandria and I left her there.
0: (laughs) You did not? I did. (laughs) You drove off.
1: Drove off. In the middle, in the middle of the uh, the meeting, I'm like, you know what? I'm not doing this.
0: I like this. I'm not Spunk. doing. It. I'm
1: like, I can't. I said, I'm. You didn't go back her.
0: to work though.
1: I walked into work the next day with my letter of resignation. <laughs> they met me at the door, like, don't leave us, don't do this. I gotta.
0: Well, how'd she get home? Greyhound <sighs> bus. I don't know.
1: To be honest with you, I can tell you. <laughs> and it was a ride along, so she did a ride with me. I just love for that, really. It <laughs> <They> was like. <laughs> I probably was going to get fired anyway, so I just quit. Yeah, whatever. So, um, yeah, I don't even remember how she got home. But, um, yeah, and and so they end up leaving there. And then um, I had a company out of Baton Rouge, that MMO. They uh, recruited me. And about two days later, I got an email saying, I heard you were available. Would you consider coming working for us? I said, let me meet with you guys. I met... Um, I love the vision. Well, their vision statement on their wall was the same vision statement I had for my life. And I was like, this is perfect.
0: And can you state that? Um, Paraphrase it.
1: Well, then it's changed now. Mm-hmm. But the vision statement was to work with an organization that will allow me to help people reach their full capacity or destiny in life, mm-hmm. something of that nature. But it, it's just paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. It. And um, because at that point I didn't want to, I didn't want to open a business anymore because I had that situation that I was in. I was done. I was like, I'm gonna be a, I'm gonna be a professional employee for the rest of my life. I am not doing this no more. Were so, you still
0: hearing God talk to you though? Um, Were you hearing that voice?
1: Not about business, mm-hmm. because I believe that you will only manifest what you feel worthy of receiving. Right. I was no place in a situation where I was really receiving anything about a business because I was still holding on to the emotions of my past or what it brought me into. Right. So um, I wasn't. So I got there. It was great. Um, Build up the organization. They promoted me. So they didn't have regional positions. I said, listen, I can go out and make this business money. Just let me create a position. So I sat down and created my own position, the regional. And then I was responsible for um, going out and recruiting other companies, buying other acquisitions. I was recruiting providers. Um, I was doing a whole lot of stuff. And so creative positions became very successful. was doing really well. It was taking care of me. Um, And then it happened. I was at my hospital in Jennings. And I walked in, I seen the same patients that I had 60 days ago, the same, five of the same people were still there. Yeah. I said, why are they here? Revolving door. And I'm like, I thought we were supposed to be helping people get better. Mm-hmm. And um they said, this this one's from Cutoff, Louisiana. This one's from Luling. There's no providers in the area. Matter of fact, that was a doctor that was driving from New Orleans to Cutoff, had passed away. And there was nobody else that was doing it. I said, man, we got to figure out something. I said, I don't like this. So it was just something inside of me. Just I didn't like it anymore because I felt like we wasn't doing what we were supposed to do. Um, I'm driving in from Alex, from uh, from Jennings, and I get a call from um, an individual from the Lafayette Parish Jails. And she, I would do our do assessments when they had a pay, uh, inmate that needed to go to a psychiatric hospital. I'd go and help in place. So there's this one gentleman who was there on a warrant, but it was actually a warrant was from they had a warrant for him in Atlanta, but they had it was housing him here. And he wanted to go to a psychiatric hospital there. So I said, I'm gonna help. So I get him on the phone, he's like, oh we can do the assessment. I said, how are you can do the assessment? You're in Atlanta. So oh, we're gonna use Skype. I said, you're gonna use Skype? Really? She said, yeah, it's just tell him medicine. Tell her what? Mm-hmm. Tell her medicine. What year was this? This was twenty twelve. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Um, I'm like, this can't be right. This can't be right. It was end of 2012. Um, so I ended up calling calling uh, Maggie McWilliams. She was with our uh, she was our Medicare rep, and I said, "Hey, is Telemedicine legal?" She said, "Yeah, Telemedicine is, is a legal service in Louisiana. It's a Telemedicine. So We're a Telemedicine state." I said, "Well, I'm interested." I said, "Because there's this company, this hospital, want to do the uh, evaluation via Skype, and um, so I did it." But when I did it, I was like, hold on. If they're doing it from Atlanta and he's here, that means I can take one of my doctors and he can be here and see that patient in Luling. In Luling, yeah. And cut off. Interesting. Hmm. Started doing some research. Find out some, got the technology. I found some platforms we can use. I went, I I didn't didn't invite myself to the board meeting at the, the company I was working for. I knew they had a board meeting. I walked in it. I was their money man. So... It didn't matter So I just invited myself I walked in the meeting They were like uh, Who invited I said nobody I said I just want to tell you I said I think I got an idea We can do it They fell in love with it They said "Charles, You got it You run with it mm-hmm. So I put the program together it Took me about Three to four months So this is January um, Mid-February now We're in it I'm putting it together And um, Got it to, Got it ready By March April Right It was April and um, I said, I got it. Let's do it. They said, Charles, we thought about it. We don't want to do it anymore. We pull a plug on it. I'm like, what do you mean? I put all this work into figuring this thing out, and y'all don't want to do it. I said, oh, that's not good. So I go to church. I was attending a local church here. I was one of the associate pastors, there, and I'm preaching on faith. I literally get up, getting ready to preach this message on faith, and God tells me, I didn't give the vision to them, I gave it to you.
0: So he came, the voice the was voice back. The voice came back. Yeah.
1: And I was like, that's exactly how I felt. this peace came over. I'm like, I heard God again. Mm-hmm. Like, this was the moment. I heard God again. And so I actually made an announcement at church in front of everybody. And I looked at, again, my wife at the time, I looked at it and said, I'm sorry, I got to say this now. I can't talk to you privately, I got to say this now. And I said it. And then we talked about it after church. And she was like, if God gives a sign, then you can do it. I said, okay. I said, God, I need a sign. I know this is because I know that voice. I know that feeling. Um, so I usually wouldn't have meetings. I didn't like going to the office in Lafayette. So I'd go to my meetings at the CC's Coffee House on the corner of Ambassador Catherine Congress. I'm sitting there, right? And my phone, a 225 number shows up on my phone. And I'm like, I don't know what this is. Ignore. Ignore. Um, I had a meeting going on. Some guy walks in and says, I'm looking for Charles. Because everybody knew I would meet there, right? I'm looking for this guy, Charles Edwards. And the lady from uh, CC said, oh, that's Mr. Charles. He, didn't, he wanted the strawberry rouge." Matter of fact, go ahead and bring it to him. And so he brings me my strawberry rouge tea, right? And uh, he said, I need to talk to you. I said, well, I'm in a meeting. Can I talk to you when I'm feeling? So the doctor walks off because I'm recruiting a new doctor. He walks off. He sits down. He says, listen. I got a group home in Baton Rouge I'm trying to get open. Um, Everybody tells me around here that you're the man of mental health that I need, that can help me. And I need your help. I looked at him. I said, sir, no disrespect. I got a business in my head I got to try to figure out. um, And then I also try to figure out how to leave my job. I don't have no money saving my account. I said, I've been transitioning this transition state. I got to figure this out. He said, what would it take for you to leave your job? I said, man, if you write me a check right now for $30,000 and pay half my salary for the next six months, I'll leave. He says, okay. And put out his checkbook and wrote me a check for $30,000. I said, Whoa, Wait,
0: boy. I'm still drinking my tea. <laughs> right? <you know>? yeah. <laughs>
1: so I was like, hold on, hold on. So I did what I think most people would have done. I pick up the phone. I call the bank on the yes, other thing, good. right? So I call him. I said, hey, listen, I don't know you, but this man is writing me a check for $30,000. He's he's agreed to pay me X amount of dollars for the next rest of the year. Um Will it go through he says oh that's plenty of money in there you, it's clear you good I said sir you gotta not you gotta you gotta somebody's gonna help you come on I took out a napkin and I wrote a contract on a piece of on a piece of napkin we signed it and what group
0: was it what um hospital or what was he it it was an indipi-
1: it was an individual it wasn't a group it was uh-huh. an individual um out of Baton Rouge his first name was Brent um and so he had bought some um um t- like an apartment complex it was really upscale Um, And he wanted to do, and I went to see the facility. It was beautiful. And I was like, this is a tile floors." And I said, man, this is a great place for mental health patients Mm -hmm. to feel like they not put them in a nasty group home, but a nice place where they can live and maybe even call home for a transitional home. So it was amazing. So, um, yeah, so I signed the agreement and I turned my nose at my job. And I started my first company, again, that was Advance, which I didn't want Advanced to. Advance uh, Health. Advance Telehealth Consulting uh-huh. Solutions. And uh, that was when I didn't want to be in business anymore for myself, and that's what happened to me, right? Um, so I served as a consultant. I didn't have the telemedic- one telemedicine at the time, so I served as a consultant. So I would hide, find doctors that want to expand their practice and then use telemedicine to do it. So I went home. I got showed the sign, so I resigned. And I'm literally in my garage. I'm just crying. I'm like, whoo And I started looking, and I saw a computer part here, a computer part there. I said, hmm, I think I can build something. I feel like I got to build something. So I started grabbing old computer parts, and I built a kiosk. I took a, a 32-inch screen, but I had a stand, had a webcam, had a computer, and I put together a kiosk. And I said, if this thing works, I can put this in doctor's office, and doctor's offices can use this to see from wherever they are. And, man, I, I plugged that thing in. I kicked it. I slammed it. I pushed it, and it came on. And I was like, all right, log in from the house. And it logged in, and I was like, I see you. I'm, high, I'm running down the street like, I got something. <laughs> so this was around 2013? This is 2013. Before
0: people were really— yeah, thinking about telehealth. Uh, yeah, this,
1: telemedicine wasn't telemedicine. It, it yeah. wasn't it at all. Nobody really knew, and everybody yeah. was like, "You crazy to you know, start this company?" And um, and I started it, you know, and got the kiosk built. I ended up finding a doctor, um, Dr. Susan Yurick, who's a psychiatrist here. Um, she says if you can do it, let's let's do it. So I went to New Iberia and I talked to Dr. Kimberly Smith, and she let me put her my first kiosk in there. And um, I have a question about reimbursement. Okay. Because
0: I've, I've heard during COVID, a lot of social workers and others said that COVID allowed more telehealth visits, but it was difficult to get reimbursed At before that. Time, that. So right. I can imagine what you were going through. Right.
1: I had to get a client that—I had to get that doctor to let me let, do services and not figure out if we—not even worry about the reimbursement. Oh,
0: so they were just helping. She was just
1: helping. I got you. Okay. Right. So this is— Free all of that, right? They weren't Before worried the coach, about she's paperwork. Just like, she's and- going to give me a shot. She's going to try it out and see if it works so we can build a case mm-hmm. and then we can go and present I it. So um, I'll never forget, We I got the machine working, put it in, in New Iberia at Dr. Smith's office, um, and she saw the first client. The lady comes out. I'm there because I want to see everything. The lady comes out, she says, Dr. Smith, who owned this company? And Ms. Dr. Smith looked at her. She said, He got that. Yeah. He had that company. That's him that something went wrong. I said, Ma'am, did something go wrong? She said, I'm mad at you. I said, Why are you mad at me? It didn't go well. She said, It was great, but I'm mad at you. I said, What did I do? She says, If you'd have started this company 90 days ago, you probably would have saved my child's life.
0: Oh, oh Charles. She says, um, Oh, my
1: God. My daughter was, she was, um, went to a psychiatrist. She didn't like it so she wanted to go to another one so she made an appointment with another psychiatrist the wait time was 120 days
0: and it's probably still like that like right in, in most many cases,
1: cases yeah, yeah. Not, for us not cuz that's no, that's, not the part, your company, right? that's the part that's the part that's the reason why the 190 days 100, 120 days and 9 days became relevant to me i got to yeah. do something different and she said if and then in the middle of her waiting for the appointment she committed suicide oh,
0: gosh
1: i was like little did she know that i was stuck because at that point, I wasn't making any money because I couldn't bill for services. Nobody wanted to pay me. This is a trial. My house is in foreclosure. My car's in repossession. And I'm sitting there like, I'm getting ready to give this thing up. But that story, when she said that, was like, I'm on to something. So I got home. I said, man, I got to do something scary. I don't know what that is, but I got to do something scary because I'm so afraid I need to do something that's going to motivate something I wouldn't really do in my normal mind. What is it? And I decided to to email the secretary of state for the Department of Health and Hospitals and ask for a meeting. Now, who meets with the secretary of the Department of Health and Hospitals? And to meeting, nobody. I emailed them. Wrote a very is essential. that Rebecca Rebecca uh, Gee. She Gee. was the assistant secretary yeah. at the time. Um, Send out the email. Within two to three minutes, I get a response. Can you meet tomorrow?
0: That's unbelievable. But you laid out about your telehealth, mm-hmm. I, telemedicine I told myself I, I have
1: a concept for telemedicine I think that's going to help bring access to care to people who are in need of mental health services. He said, can you meet us tomorrow? I was like, oh, my God. I'm, I'm cutting up. I'm excited. Because, you know, I didn't have an office. So I'm in my house, spare bedroom in my garage. That was my—it's so a funny story. <laughs> I had this business, right? Uh— well, I'm going to tell you after. I, I'm going to get to that part after I talk about it. Um, <laughs> you didn't have
0: business cards. I didn't have all that yet. kept on changing No, I didn't have jobs. all that because
1: I was like, so I meet with them, and Dr. Mm-hmm. Gee comes in. She said, the secretary can't meet with you, but I'll be with you. And I told her the story, and she looked at me, and she says, Charles, don't quit. Don't quit. She said, we've been trying to figure this out. We was thinking that this was going to be about seven, maybe 10 years from now we would see. Mm-hmm. Oh, how ironic. 2013 and in 10 years. That's yeah. COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Right. So she was she said, we expecting telemedicine to take off in the next seven to ten years. We didn't think somebody was going to figure it out before then. She says, call this number. It was Representative mm-hmm. Scott Simon. And he says, he's writing a law I need some help on. And I was like, okay. Now they don't know my background. They didn't ask me
0: all that. They didn't ask if you had a master's They didn't ask if I had a master's <laughs> nothing.
1: So I, I and then she says, Call this this company here. This is the Medicaid MCO. Um Thomas Magellan. They didn't have all the other ones and work with them. So I, I called Magellan. She called Magellan Told him. I was coming and went and with him. Called Representative Sky Simon, and he said, I need help on this bill. So I went, got a piece of paper. You gave it to me. I just started writing. I didn't know what I was writing. I just started writing whatever in cut in my head, and I handed it to him. He's like, this is good. This is good. You a lawyer? Nope. Are you a lobbyist? No, sir. <laughs> what do you do? Uh, what's your background? I said, I have a high school diploma. He was like, What? And so, Louisiana Telemedicine Act 442, that's what, what came out What is it, of Act
0: 442 of yeah. 2013?
1: 2013, I think it was. 2013, yeah. That's what came out of that bill, right? Um, and then I got in touch with the. the uh, MCO, and this is just
0: for mental health?
1: Just for mental health. So I got in touch with the the, the Medicaid MCO, found out this I met with them it was great. It's like, hey, this can help us to show. Concept of like how we can answer the problems that we were having with mental health this is our answer so I'm working with them to develop a program with them becoming a vendor mm-hmm. um and then next thing you know I get a call if they're losing their contract and they go to five four plans instead of five or five plans I, I remember what that number is and I was like okay so now I had to go meet with everybody else so it was Healthy Blue um Edna Merrill Health Caritas Louisiana Healthcare Connection so it was five and um united to see if they would play so she, so i got all of them and all of them were like yes um but they would cover they, they would cover reimbursement the, the reimbursement for, for technology mm-hmm. i wasn't a provider company yet i was only a, a vendor so they wanted to set me up as a vendor to provide a tele- telemedicine platform for their providers to use. okay so i put that together submitted the proposal got everything done um, it took me two and a half years to get those contracts. Um, How did you survive? Uh, I finally got a company. So Medicare was paying for telemedicine. Okay. So I had a company, um, Seaside, out of uh, their headquarters out of Shreveport. Um, they're still one of our clients now. They wanted to use telemedicine in their hospital, so Medicare. So they and I ended up getting a proposal for them. And the down payment that it gave me to start the project was enough to get me out of foreclosure. And it, I got the contract with them three days before my house. So I was going to lose my house. It's crazy. Yeah, right. Um, so um, got that, got it all done. I get out of my financial situation. Started me with all the plans. Um, I didn't have an office. I was using my spare bedroom, my garage. So I bought this phone from Vonage. And it had a virtual secretary. So I put seven departments. And so when you call the office, call my house, it would say, press one for this, press mm-hmm. two for this, right? <laughs> so when people would call, I would change my voice and be like, hello. And they like, I need to speak to Mr. Edwards. And I'd be like, hold on, I'll get him. And then, you know, right? So I get on the phone and I'd be like, hey, how you doing? And I'd act like I had an assistant, but it was always me at the same time, right? It was crazy. He used to laugh at me. Um, and so one of AmeriHealth Caritas said, we want to meet with you in person to talk about the plan. And I was like, oh, okay, great. You can meet me at my office. Um, okay. And I, I had a client that I was working with, I was getting ready to start working with, and I called him up. I gave him his, their address before I even asked him. I called him, I said, hey guy, hey, hey bro, let me, can I use your office? I got the most craziest question. Can I borrow your office and your staff? <laughs> I said because I got a big meeting with a yeah. Medicaid MCO and I need to look, look like I'm bigger than I really am so I went in the day before the meeting got trained in staff Mr. Edwards now you say it Mr. Edwards this is Mr. I say it one more time y'all work for me y'all work for me so we went through this whole thing right and I said I'm gonna buy y'all a pizza tomorrow right <laughs> so they came in and uh we met and uh Everybody was like, hey, Mr. Edwards, your, your 2 o'clock is here. And they came in the conference room and everybody was acting like, we're going to get your coffee, I want this. And they killed it. They killed it. And we killed it with them, so they're like, yeah, we're going to do We're gonna do this. And so um, we just got to go through national procurement because we don't have any codes here locally, so we're going to have to get you approval oh, on a national yeah, level yeah. than we do locally. So that's why it took so long. So the crazy thing is it positioned me to be credentialed nationally because— I had to go. You were creating
0: it here, yeah.
1: So I was doing two things Mm -hmm. at one time, not really knowing. I thought I was only working to get it done here, Uh but because the way I had to do it, I had to get credentialed nationally.
0: So let me see if I understand. I understand the company being formed and the, you know, you being a provider, not a provider, the The vendor, um, the vendor. Mm -hmm. So mental health services were first okayed before regular healthcare. Then is this this was what was breaking down
1: barriers? Well, that's where the shot. Where's the shot we's gonna give it first to see if this can really work? Because um, nobody
0: was really like I said n- earlier. Nobody was doing it. You, they weren't. They couldn't get reimbursed.
1: Nobody was. The technology so wasn't really.
0: I pitched available. it for
1: mental health because that's what I knew. That's what and you I knew. I felt like it was the most easiest thing to do mm-hmm. telemed because there's no touching involved. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things now we do vitals, but, um, but yeah, but
0: you got like wearables. and Yeah, stuff. that's yeah. that's a whole
1: other story. Yeah, um, so. Okay. I didn't
0: mean to interrupt that. Oh no, but I you're thought, good. You're good. Yeah. I knew that yeah. I put on a presentation on telemedicine with Oxner. Well, they were Lafayette General back in twenty seventeen. Mm-hmm. And people were ooh and eyeing that to think that a doctor could even examine you in mm-hmm. your ear or your throat through telemedicine. Yeah. So I mean you were way ahead of yes. what was acceptable.
2: Yeah.
1: Um or even
0: really on people's
1: radar. Right. So we we got the contract, right? Finally. <laughs> well, let me back up. Um Healthy Blue is our our hardest because they are connected to Blue Cross Blue Shield and mm-hmm. the Medicaid arm. So their attorneys had to meet with my attorneys. Did I didn't you have, have attorneys? attorneys. Um, <laughs> I didn't have attorneys, and they sent this 36-page agreement, and I had to sit up and read it, read it and just understand it, read it until I understood it. And then I hired an attorney to come in the room and sit with me. I said, man, I don't have any money, but I can give you $200 if you just come sit in my office and act like you're my attorney. Mm-hmm. I'ma ask all the questions. So I reached out to this guy. He he did it. He came to my office. He didn't even charge me after that, after he saw what I did. He probably
0: learned. Yeah, I said all I
1: need you to do is say your name. That's <laughs> it. And we were over the phone. I said, say your name and then I'm gonna take care of him. He said, What you mean? Don't worry about it. Say your name. Say it again. Tell me your name now. Say it. So he kept saying it to me. And then what I did was I started picking up on his tone, everything. So now <laughs> he said Pacted. his name. Now, when they started asking questions, I stopped him. And I started mimicking his voice and answering all the questions. <laughs> so I was acting like he was the attorney. So I was like, this is an attorney. This is this is Roger Aden. And So and like, so he's looking at me like, dude, you really want this so bad. I'm like, what else am I going to do? Right? I don't have no other options. I I can't get loans. This concept is new. There's nobody that really believe in this thing. I need to do what I have to do to make it. And so he's like, all right. So he didn't charge me. in up. I get a word. Two weeks later, we get the contract for them. So all of us start coming at the same time. Um, then I decided, you know what? I don't want to, I started, I I started working with the doc. I had a doctor from Mississippi that came in and was working with me too. Um, we built, we were able to build Medicare. Um,
0: was he s- situated she, here in Lafayette? She was, she, she was
1: licensed for Louisiana, but okay. living in Mississippi.
0: So she was set up at her
1: mm-hmm, home at office. Her office. Okay. She ended up losing her license. Oh. And, um, in Louisiana? In Louisiana because of some stuff that happened in Mississippi. But she was still trying to do telemedicine, and I ended up finding out. And I'm like, you know what? I can't trust this because now my name is going to go down. Yeah. And, and integrity is everything for me. So I said, well, I'm going to open my own provider company. And I'm like, I don't have, I, I'm really not making any money. Um, I said, but I think I can take what I have, transition, and we can open the door to. So um, I had clients. The way I was structured with the contracts, I was making $300 a month for my clients, and it was really nothing to do. A doctor was costing me $250,000 a year. I had $70,000 I was making at the time. And it was no way. I said, but you know what? It's going to figure it out. I went, did a fast for 15 days. And then after my fast, I had strat- I had a strategy. And in three days, I restructured my company to where I was able to hire my first doctor without getting any loans and using the restructuring the business that I had. And that's how I was able to hire my first employees.
0: They would just work and get reimbursed
1: Right, where you didn't have to have that salary. So what I did, salary. I, did a, I did. So I'd already became the vendor for the five plans. I made one telemedicine subsidiary of the vendor so now this company already had the contracts. So I just put this company under it so it would f- fall into the contracts. Mm-hmm. So now I went to the providers and say, hey, listen, the, uh, the MCOs and say, hey, listen, I've been doing it as a vendor. Not many people are using it. How about if I, I become the telepsych provider and I bring on my own doctors and we can see better outcomes? And he's like, okay. And so that's how I started. So we started off with 50 patients in September of 2017. Um. Yeah, 17. And um, within a year, within by December, we was up to 900. The following December, we were up to 3,000. 2019, we was up to about 12. And by 2020, we were about 20, mm-hmm. almost 20,000 patients. That's
0: when the need probably really exploded, too, right. for and COVID. Then,
1: then COVID hit. Yeah. Right. Most people thought COVID was gonna be the thing that takes me over, right? COVID became, from a business perspective, on my vendor side, it was good because now more and more providers were starting to use the platform. Mm -hmm. So now the insurance Mm -hmm. had the company had to pay me for the vendor providers using it. But my provider company started suffering because we didn't. Everybody became telemedicine. Everybody became my competitor because that was the only way for me to use it. So I wasn't the I wasn't the ah uh-huh. company anymore, like the whoa. I was like, oh, you're just an average person like everybody else that has this company doing because everybody's doing it now. They were using Zoom. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. like, so what am I going to do, right? Um, one of the things that separates us from a, most of the, all of the competitors, actually, we function as an in like visit. So that means my providers have access to live vitals every time they see a patient and they continue to care. Well, that time I had those clinics and I had nurses there that would do the um, – the vitals when they get there. And I had what they call a healthy home model I developed where I'd send peer-to-peer specialists into the homes. They would do the vitals and connect the provider test the patient, connect the patient to the provider with an iPad or any type of notebook. And the the insurance company would pay for me to send the person. So I had negotiated all that. COVID hit, I had to, my clinics was closing. I had to pull everybody off the road. I couldn't get vitals. My my the doctors start complaining. I got controlled substances. I don't want to. I don't yeah. want to prescribe these controlled substances if it's going to cause dem, uh, damage to the patient. I don't want to do it. It's like, what am I going to do? Um, I was like, man, I got to have an answer. I said, God, what is it? And um, I, I get home. I turn on the. Um, I don't watch TV because I only watch six hours of TV. But I said I got to do something, so I turn it on. A shark Tank, So it had to be something dealing with entrepreneurship to get my mind turned. And Damon says, The next billion dollar idea will be birthed from this uh, this pandemic. So don't fear. You just got to figure out what it is. I say, oh, I want that to be me. So the next thing I go to sleep. And I'm dreaming about a device, a wearable that I can do vitals and see the doctor. And I'm like, Huh? Hmm. Let me call. So I get up. I start calling people in China, Venezuela, all over the world. Nobody had it. Oh, that's crazy. So I wake up the next day, had another dream, wake up, making calls. Indonesia, I'm all over the country calling people. Nobody has it. And I'm like, and the next thing, the voice came back again. I thought I did it for you. Me? Okay. So I get out a pen and paper. I start drawing what I saw in my head. And then I, one of my friends who what was, um, it? What was, it? was a wearable, uh-huh. um, one of my friends, I helped him invent a, a, a telemedicine PT chair out of Atlanta that's helping veterans and stuff. So I just helped him develop that. And um, he had a patent attorney, so I called him up and I said, hey, I got this idea. Can I send it to you Just see if, it, if it's done? Send him, the, send him the drawings, the concept, everything that I put together. And he's like, Charles, this is, nobody's doing it. There's no patents out there. I was like, what? I said, I want a patent. Let's do it. I got to do it. So he ended up doing my patent pending, doing all that. Um, and then I was looking for somebody to build it. But I knew I wanted to build it debt free. I didn't want to build it, mm-hmm. and because if there's a case, I, I didn't have enough money to do all that. Um, everybody was like eight million dollars, seven million dollars. I said, For, "Was it a watch? What it's kind a, of wear? It's, up is a, it's watch. a watch. It looks similar to <coughs> Apple Watch. It's mm-hmm. still bigger, um, but it's <coughs>
0: excuse me.
1: It's bigger, a little bigger, um, about a, about a half a screen bigger mm-hmm. when you add it. But it has all the sensors." Um, where you can do your pulse ox, temperature, heart rate, ECG, blood, glucose. It can do everything. Um, but the other thing is building its own wireless network. So you have a SIM card and it can live stream video, and it's, it doesn't need to Bluetooth to a phone. So basically, I invented a wearable cell phone that does medical services, right? Um, crazy. Uh, so then I end up getting with Dr. Stewart from U.S. I love this guy, man. He's amazing. Um, he introduced me to the engineering department at UL. Jeff Stewart. Jeff Stewart, yeah. <laughs> I love that brother, man. Um, and did met with the engineering department, Dr. Raju. We came in. He's like, I don't know if he's going to do this. I don't know if he's going to do it. Now, I, I had 14 days to make a decision because that's the days that I heard that I needed to make a decision. And it was the 12th day. I'm like, well, he told me I have to make a decision in fourteen days. I don't have eight million dollars to put in this thing, but he told me I'm gonna do it that free. So they called me back, and he said, "Doctor said, Doctor Reggie said, you really believe this this thing, this thing?" I said, "I do, Doc. I believe in all my heart. I'm coming back to your office. Let's talk about it again." So we sit down, we talking, we talking. He said, and I'm in tears. I'm like, like you know, I'm just passionate about it. I gotta do. It. He's like, you know what, Charles? I'm crazy enough to. If you're crazy enough to dream this thing, I'm crazy enough to see if I can build it. I'm like what? He said, it's going to cost you. And um, I said, okay, whatever it costs, Doc, I'm going to make it happen. I promise you. Don't worry about it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm on it. So he called me back with the proposal. And the price he gave me was like nothing compared to what mm-hmm. I heard. I said, so now I can do it debt-free. <laughs> and it happened within the 14 days. Mm-hmm. That I had the time frame. I had to do it.
0: And they've have they developed it?
1: prototype i actually have the prototype mm-hmm. i should have brought it um so i actually have the prototype we're going in the final design we're actually meeting with um a company tomorrow called holtian they developed the aura ring yeah um so the guys that actually invented the ring would be on a call with us tomorrow because they're looking at being our partner um and helping us develop this this thing but but the technology that we're building now is like nothing that ever been seen before it's going to help people give mm-hmm. access to care in rural areas, all across to underserved communities, all across the country and the world.
0: So, I want to kind of get to your the, the current one um, telemed, and catch people up on where you are right now. Mm-hmm. And I know you're helping, like we said, over you know forty thousand patients. So, the average, and in the interest of time, I just mm-hmm. want you to t- tell us about the the types of cases that are presented and. How people find out more about one telemed okay. between the physicians and the um, the patients.
1: So right now we have a um, staff of psychiatrists, psychiatric nurse practitioners, counselors, um, and so. And then first quarter of this, well, first quarter of this year we're actually adding primary care services too. Oh. Um, so we have. I'm actually interviewing my primary care doc tomorrow, so it'll be officially after tomorrow. Um, but we um, we provide the medication management services, counseling services via telemed for. Medicaid, as well as other insurance companies throughout the state. So our wait times right now is about 72 hours. You can actually get, um, you, you get. For anxiety,
0: Anxiety, depression, depression
1: bipolar. Uh, schizophrenia, you name it. We do uh-huh. everything, right? Um, and we're also actually, actually in the process of adding some ABA services for individuals on the spectrum because there's a dire need for it. Oh, um, for
0: autism. Right. So people contact you directly at One they can, Telemed? They can
1: actually go to our website at OneTelemed.com.
0: They don't and, need a doctor referral. They no, just go directly to you.
1: They can just go directly to our website, and then they can... Um, request a visit and then someone from our office will reach out to them do the just kind of do the assessment and then schedule them for the patient schedule them to see the doctor
0: it's just amazing so I mean 72 hour wait is it's probably a long time when you need help but not like six months right you know? and
1: we're actually working on an on-demand project too so that way they can we're looking to build a program where they can get help the same day um it's a it's one of my thorns in my side to get done so we're working on it but um, it's a lot having. So with that, we've actually just recently landed a national contract with, with a, one of the medical MC, uh, M, Medicaid MCOs that we work with locally. So we're actually working on a 16-state expansion project that will yield us a few million patients. Yeah, offer we, the
0: same type of yeah, service.
1: Because our outcomes. Um, so we've so we've seen people for the last seven years with we one telemed, and in seven years we had less than 30 hospitalizations out of all, over that seven-year period.
0: Wow, and the patients stick with you? Do they?
1: Absolutely, they know. say the same provider every time. Our providers walk through life with them, um, and that's the great thing. Our our providers are second to none. I call them the Chick Fil A uh-huh. of uh, of healthcare. Right?
0: Are most of them? Do they mainly have brick and mortar locations, or do they work they just work remotely? Home. So they they don't have to have their own
1: and that's a, and that's the fiscal office. A lot of them are moms, um, and they're like, I can be a mother again because they can. Walk out their walk out of their house, do their work, walk out of their house and go get their kid off of the, the bus. Or they get home, there's food prepared, mm-hmm. um, so they can they can have a life outside of just traveling from doctor's office to doctor's office, or, or even so. And that, when it, happens, when it happens, it gives them the ability to treat that patient like that's the only patient that they're seeing today because they don't have to worry about all the external stimuli that's pulling on them. They can just really focus on that uh-huh. moment. And I think that's the reason why we have such great success. Um, so it's social workers, social nurse workers, practitioners. Social nurse practitioners, and psychiatrists. Psychiatrist. We just added a psychologist and a dictionologist as well. What's that? Um, someone who's certified in substance abuse. Oh, so we oh addictionologist. Yeah. Okay. So we're actually working on developing a, sub, a substance abuse program as well. Okay. Um, that can really help. So um, I'm and one of those guys that believe I can save the world. And
0: yeah, so, yeah, your story really we could have gone on for hours. Oh I mean, yeah. it's fascinating. And I <laughs> I sorry. want to include more on my website with the show notes. And just for you to get it in, you also talked about helping people locally with meditation.
1: Yeah, that meditation clinic. That's so, in person though, that's right? That's in person. So in our office downtown on Garfield Street, 209 Garfield, right across from Park International, um, I opened a meditation clinic because I realized the importance of it. Med- personally, mm-hmm. um, I was going through a lot, I went through a divorce. I was in a very dark place. Um And what got me to the to becoming the best version of myself is through meditation. And I stumbled across a device called BrainTap um, when I was in Houston um, getting a massage, and I did it. And within four minutes, this gentleman on the, on the device said, imagine myself cutting a lemon. Imagine myself giving you a piece of the lemon. Imagine yourself biting into the lemon. And said, like most of the people, your mouth will water. So my mouth started watering. So within four minutes, it created a new reality, right? And I was like, Wow. So, what if I'm listening to this over and over again, some telling me I'm great, some I'm happy, I'm not depressed, and I do it over and over again through the power of repetition, then I can rewrite the way I think. And so I got the device for myself and started working, using it. And I got it for my daughter. I had my daughter came over and stayed, moved back with me, and she started using it. I seen her life change. I was like, well, you know what? If it can work for me, it can work for other people. So I wanted well, to create a space. So I brought it to my office. All my staff started using it, and I started seeing their lives change. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? Let me create this space for people to come, and so we can just call and make an appointment. Yeah, and you can us? do that online as well. Uh-huh. Um, if you look on our website, there's a space that says Brain Tap. Uh, you can just click on it, and um, very inexpensive too. Uh, sessions for one session is twenty dollars. Um, for a weekly membership is sixty nine dollars. You can come once a week, or you can do an unlimited for eighty five dollars a month. So we wanted to make it very affordable, but the results that I'm getting. Uh, we usually start off with a brain scan, so we use this device called NeuroCheck, and so we use heart variations. And within three to five minutes, I can do a complete brand of your scan, your brain scan, complete scan of your brain. Mm-hmm. Sorry, and I can see where your stress levels are, see where your brain functioning is, see where your metabolism is, um, your overall brain health. Um, yeah, and then develop, use that study, that um, that moment there, the outcomes of that to develop a treatment plan with the brain tap. The- and so,
0: is that extra or is that part of the fee? That's part of it. The twenty dollars fee.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I really made it because I wanted people who might necessarily have yeah. a lot of money to do it. And I don't want be afraid
0: to see what my brain looks like, <laughs> <laughs> fried, the,
1: yeah. all splotchy. Yeah. But, but the great thing about it, you can see where it is. I shouldn't laugh about. See, it. I mean, I'm you serious. You can see where, what it becomes. Yeah, afterwards, yeah. right? And the outcomes, I can tell you are amazing, from people who are suffering from depression, um, bipolar, um, ADHD. We have one little kid I'm working with now that is uh, autistic are on the spectrum, and his results, his outcomes are amazing. Uh-huh. His brain um,
0: waves, you were saying. Wow, uh, yeah.
1: Open. And then I worked with a young gentleman who um, was in the army, so PTSD, suffering horribly. He smiled for the first time, and he cried, and he held me, and he says, I didn't think I was going to make it because I literally was thinking about leaving my job and killing myself today. And I was like, what? And we're crying together. The energy in that room, in that place Mm -hmm. is just different. I work till 7 o'clock every day because I love to see the people walk in one way and come out a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, Jason, I see you're nodding. Do you have
2: um, thoughts, questions? I, I do have a few thoughts. First of all, Thank you for being here. Thank you. And this has been amazing. Me. Like, I'm just kind of sitting here, like, I know, all the miracles. mesmerized. <laughs> like, we've already gone for an hour. This is the I know. We, can, oh, we can wow. go for three yeah. or so. This is awesome. <laughs> OneTelemed.com, that's spelled out
1: mm-hmm. O N E T E L E M E
2: D.com. Perfect. All right. Yeah. So, everybody out there listening, go check out that website. You talked about meditation, which I had as as notes. The power of meditation. So I'm glad you hit on that. How long is one
1: session? Uh, usually between twenty and thirty minutes. Okay. So with the brain scan and the meditation is about thirty minutes. Okay. And you wear headphones. You said headphones, and it's it's a headset, and then you have the like the goggles you put over your eyes because it uses sound, bilateral sounds, light, and a guided meditation. Okay, and you don't need to bring anything with you, just bring yourself? Just bring yourself, we have blankets waiting there for you, you can come and recline in a chair, and you just sit, Um, it helps with sleep, I mean, yeah, we had one young, a 13-year-old a day that came in, um, severely ADHD, when I got there, she was already sleeping, Her session had ended, and she was knocked out, she was there for almost an hour, the mom just let her stay, she's like, my child doesn't sleep. But she was she was gone. Wow! Yeah, it's crazy. That that's amazing. Uh, there were so many other things that we talked about
2: before the podcast, right? Can you just talk very briefly? What is the law of attraction?
1: Law of attraction. So basically, everyone has a law of attraction. So is the aura the the aura that you give out is the aura you bring things into your life. So the way you think, the way you act, the way you believe, what you think, right? Everything has an energy. We are all energy, right? And so it's the energy that you put out is the energy that you attract. Mm, whether so, it's, positive whether it's positive
0: or negative. Whether it's positive
1: or negative. If you wake up thinking positive every day, positive things will happen. Mm. But if you think about it, sometimes that every time we say we don't want something to happen, it usually happens. It's because we're creating with a thought. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, right? So we're a direct reflection of what we believe and what we think. That's the outcomes that we have in our lives. Oh man, I so want to get into like expectations
2: and gratitude and all these other things. At some point, well, we're going to come see you li- this week. Yeah. Me and Chris Rader already said we're coming to your office yeah. so, uh, to say yeah. hi. So, yeah, I definitely want to talk more about this. Charles, thank you for being here, man. Thank you for having me. And Jan, thank you again for bringing thank in such awesome you. guests for me to listen to.
0: Well, thank you. And, you know, I, I didn't want to cut you, but it's the, the time for our podcast. I want people to learn more about you by visiting one telemed.com. Charles, the story I thought was going to be about, really about the services in particular, and I think the bigger story is about you following God in His will, and uh, this turned out differently than I expected in a a beautiful way, in a beautiful way, because I think anybody that's listening that may be hesitant to go get professional mental health treatment, I think this might be a low barrier Uh for them to get help and at least talk to someone quickly. And determine oh, what yeah. do I need to do because Absolutely. if you make a call and you're desperate, and you learn it's three to six months, I mean, mm-hmm.
1: it's devastating. It's
0: devastating.
1: It's like you yeah. have a you have the flu and you call the doctor. Are you going to emergency room? Yeah. And you having chest pains and they say go back. We can't yeah. see you for three months.
0: Yeah, yeah. You. I mean, like you said, you might be dead by then. Yeah. You know.
2: Well, I think you guys all hit on it. One of the the biggest boundaries for anybody seeking mental health help is. Looking, mm-hmm. searching for a psychologist or a counselor or a therapist or whatever—that was the biggest hurdle for me. Is who? What am I looking? I don't even know what I'm looking for. Yeah. I just know I want somebody to talk to, but that's all I know. What do I do? Mm-hmm. And there's not a ton, a ton of great info for that. Mm-hmm. Like Jan said, this seems like an easy way to yeah. get, at least get started, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then then see what happens and go from there.
1: And even if telemedicine is not an option for you, prefer someone in in person. We make referrals yeah. so we can find someone. You
2: know the community of Right, providers.
1: and I've been in this so long. It's like I know, depending on what you're going mm-hmm. through, who would I recommend? And so just utilizing resources. Like yeah. we're a village, right? Mm-hmm. Back in the day, you said it takes a village to raise a community I raise a child, and I feel the same way. So we just yeah. build a village to help a lot of people. Well, Heck yeah.
0: I just think, Charles Edwards, what, what you bring to the table today and to our community is that— that God given drive to help others, Thank you. and it's um, for everybody listening. It's really beautiful in person. I hope that. I hope people pick up on that because yeah. I f- I feel like we were meant to meet. I just I agree. have really enjoyed this yeah. occasion, and uh, I shared with you my family background. My mother had mental health issues, and I know for people that are listening, it's not just the person that has a mental illness; it's the family. Mm-hmm. And the friends, and yeah. uh, it affects a wider group of people than just the, the patient. Yeah. So um, what you're doing makes a big difference thank in you. our community.
1: I appreciate thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, so Charles yes. Edwards, one telemedcom I want to thank our listeners for your loyal support. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to Discover Lafayette wherever you get your podcast. You can also visit discoverlafayette.net to listen, to um, to look up Charles Edwards' interview along with about 360 or 365 others. We couldn't do our show without the very critical support of Jason Sikora and Raider. Thank you, Rader. Oh, thank thank you, you so yeah. much. I also want to thank Oxner, Lafayette General for your generous support, as well as VIMED. We're very honored to have all of you supporting our podcast. Thank you for listening today. This is Jan Swift.